This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Last week, I preached a message to you entitled, Pick It Up. Talked all about the burdens, and we, we specifically looked at the man that was healed at the pool of Bethesda, Bethsaida. There's several different interpretations. What's so cool about it is the original language, the, the word literally means house of mercy. Isn't that cool? That's the place that we receive healing is at the house of mercy. And I talked to you and I told you that there's a multitude of people laying around these pools, but yet Jesus picked out one. He knew what was inside of the man. He knew what the outcome was going to be. And of all the people that he could have went to, he went to the one. And he looked at him, he said, do you want to be made well? And we talked specifically about the word well really was a better interpretation to be said, do you want to be made whole? How do we know that? Jesus said, pick up your bed and, and walk. And instantly the man picked up his bed after 38 years. He probably, uh, we talked about the, the, somebody that's laid down to a bed that can't move. You've seen people that are bedridden, that are stuck, that are in that place. They don't even uh, sometimes have the strength to feed themselves. And sometimes, somehow miraculously this transaction, this transition took place. And the man had the ability to pick up his bed and walk. I told you, I don't believe it was some little bed mat. It wasn't a sleeping bag. It was a bed frame. It was a bed. It took strength. It took energy, and he carried it proudly, and he made everybody mad. He made all the religious people mad because he wasn't supposed to be carrying his bed on the Sabbath. Who gives a rip that he carried his bed on the Sabbath? They missed the whole point that the man was even able to carry the bed, right? And here we are walking with our testimony, but people are so caught up on, on how we're doing this or how we're doing that, they miss the whole fact. They don't know our story and what it took to get us to the place to be able to carry our testimony in the first place, right? I told you that, that carrying that bed built that man's strength. He had to have had the strength to hold it up. And, and as we carry those things that we've been through, those things that, that were holding us down, and now we're under, we're the one pushing, and we're overcomers. We're power overpowering those things. Our strength is built through our testimony. The longer we carry it, the lighter that bed really is. But yet we still carry that bed because that bed is a direct sign of where God brought us from. Right? So where we pick up is, is this ticked some people off. The end of chapter 5, it's made some people mad. And the people, I told you at last week as we concluded, that Jesus went into the temple and found this man. And how do we know? Let's get back real quick. Let me finish my thought. How do we know that, the, that Jesus is saying, do you want to be made whole? Well, he goes back and he says, sir, go and sin no more so that you don't become worse than you were to start with. He not only physically healed him, but now he spoke directly to the spiritual being of the man. You with me? It made people mad. And the people, the, the Jewish leaders, they went to this guy and they said, hey, who actually told you um, that, that you needed to pick up your bed and walk? And he said, well, I don't even know. Later, that's when Jesus comes into the temple and he introduces himself and he says, hey, uh, I'm the one that said this. Here's the deal. Go and sin no more so that you don't become worse. So the people are mad. So Jesus, this picks up in chapter 5, 
Uh, in verse 18, it says, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus directs this wholeheartedly, head-on, bluntly, he confronts them. He don't beat around the bush. He doesn't tiptoe around the situation. He don't even bypass back out the temple. He confronts them head-on. He kind of doubles down on them and says, This is who I am. I don't care who you think I am. This is who I really am. They said, well, show us a sign, because our, our, our forefathers, they had manna to eat in the wilderness. He said, yeah, what you don't actually realize, though, is that manna came from my father who sent me, and now I am myself the bread of life that comes down from heaven. And they're mad. They're frustrated. And they're intending to kill him, because now he has, in verse 17, equated himself to the father. So we move forward. And Jesus says in verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For the Father raises the dead, gives them life. Even so, the Son also gives life to those whom he wishes. I told you I got a lot of ground to cover to get to this one little thought of where you're going to go. So what takes place is Jesus goes through this series of conversations. Jesus says, actually, what's going to take place is on the last day, there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be two resurrections. Those that did good deeds, and you can read this in verses 25 through 30, those that did good deeds are going to go and receive eternal life. Those that did evil deeds are going to receive eternal judgment. There's two resurrections. He goes on and he confronts. He says, you don't believe that I am who I say I am, but let me talk to you and let me give you my testimony. This is Jesus kind of carrying his bed, if you will. He said, I don't even have to testify about myself. There's one that came before that you put some faith in. Verse 33 said, you have sent John and he had testified the truth. John testified of Jesus. Not only was John enough, but he says, he goes on and he says, well, actually, in verse 36, but the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me. Not only is somebody else testifying to my character, but now the fruit of my life is a testimony of who I am. I wonder if we kind of looked in the mirror, if the same could be said about us. If there's somebody to testify about me, somebody to judge my character to say, I know that guy, that guy's real, I've seen him in the dark, I've seen him in the light, I know his life. I testify he is who he says he is. That would be great, right? To have a friend that, that would do that. But then to even go beyond that, his works have testified to who he is. Our life would be a life that would be led in a way that what we do represents who we are. That's a powerful thought because that's not always the way it works. What we do would represent who we are. It really does. But so often what we do doesn't represent who we say we are. But even if that wasn't enough, he said in verse 37, and the Father who sent me has testified of me. Now we've got John. Now we've got his works. Now we have the Father himself testifying of Jesus being the Son of God. And if that's not enough, he said in verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
But what's actually taking place is it's these that testify about me. You're looking for the scripture for answer. You're looking for scripture believing that the eternal life is within this book. But realistically, eternal life is not within this book. I am the book. I wrote the book. Eternal life is within me. These scriptures testify about me, Jesus is saying. Jesus has proven this whole thought. He's walked through this argument. He, they're, they're, they're bashing. Remember, this all started with a man getting healed. Right? Started with a good thing. Not a bad thing. It started in the temple, in the church, with the church people. And they're ticked off because the man's carrying his bed on the Sabbath. He's breaking some tradition. He stepped out of line just a little bit. They're mad because Jesus thinks he has the authority to tell him to do this. Jesus says, you don't even recognize who I am. Verse 44 is an interesting thought for me. It says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek glory that is from the one and only God? Did you know I'm guilty of this? He said, how can you believe in me when you don't even understand where your accolades and where your accomplishment comes from in the first place? You're looking for glory from each other Expecting attaboys and you're expecting accolades and accomplishments from each other. When you got it all wrong and the only one you should be looking for any kind of honor, any kind of fame from whatsoever is the one and only God above. And I'll be honest, I underlined it in orange in my Bible, which is an important thing for me to remember. Because more times than not, I'm, I'm judging and I'm basing how I feel based on the accolades and the attaboys that I'm getting from somebody else, the glory, the honor. I'm looking for other people to pour into my life rather than going straight to the source who gives me life. And that's my struggle. Maybe not yours. That's my struggle. Jesus said, how do you expect to believe in the first place when you're looking for glory in all the wrong places? Preached a sermon one time, looking for Jesus in all the wrong places. It was based out of this text that we get to in just a minute. So then two major events take place as we step into chapter 6. It begins in verse 1, it says, After these things Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A large, cloud, a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. When Jesus went up to the mountain, there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Verse 5 is a very important thought. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that the large crowd was coming to him. Well, we know what he does. The act that he lifted up his eyes and saw the crowd is a big deal. Because when I don't think anybody sees me, when I think I'm all alone, when I'm looking around for somebody to talk to, when I'm looking for somebody to pour out myself to, Jesus, lifting up his eyes, saw the crowd. Seeing is a major thing. What we perceive what we behold, to know that Jesus saw these people. He says to Philip, he says, Philip, where are we going to buy bread for all these people? Philip's like, 
Don't ask me that question. It would take, he said, 200 denarii worth of bread. And that's not even enough for them to get just a little bit. How much is this? We'll put it in perspective. One denarii is one full, um, it is a day's worth of wages. So we're talking about 200 days worth, 208 hour days worth of money. Now, if you want to put that in mathematical perspective, you do that. And Jesus is saying, Philip, where are you going to go buy the bread to feed all these people? Philip's like, Jesus, that's not even possible. But what's so cool is in verse 6, it says, This he was saying to test him, for he knew what he was intending to do. Before Philip ever had a comprehension of what was about to take place, before he ever even realized the miracle he was about to witness, Jesus knew what he intended to do. I question very often the place that I'm at in my life sometimes, and I question, Lord, who in the world am I that you would let me father children? Who in the world am I that you would let me have the blessing of the wife that I've received? Lord, who in the world am I that you would put me ahead of any type of ministry whatsoever, much less be able to, to hold a responsibility to pastor a church? And I stand looking at what's here and I'm thinking, Jesus, that would take 200 denarii worth of bread and that just means everybody gets a little bit. But where we fell in our thought process is before Jesus ever asked the question, he knew what he intended to do. Before Jesus ever put me in the place of fatherhood that I'm in, I had no idea that I would be trying to raise two kids through a, a world pandemic and through utter chaos in a world and in a culture. But before I ever knew that, he knew what he intended to do through me. You with me? Before the test ever even came about, he knew what he intended to do. So what takes place? You know the story maybe. There's a little boy, one of his disciples brought up and he said, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Statements like that are huge for me because when I feel like what I have is not enough, whether it be financially, whether I feel like I don't have the resources, whether I feel like I don't have the skills, the talents, the abilities, whether I feel like I don't have the time, whatever it is. He said, what, what is this? What are the five barley loaves and two fish for all these people? Jesus said, just tell the people to sit down and be quiet. Just tell them to sit down. Hush a minute. And he took the loaves in verse 11, chapter 6, verse 11. He took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed those who were seated. Likewise also of the fish as they wanted, as they wanted. Not just a little anymore, but as they wanted. And when they were filled, not when it was gone, but when they were filled. Because God's provision is always going to be feeling. You with me? He always has enough to fill us. But not only that, it says, when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftovers, the leftover fragments, so that nothing will be lost. I tell you that anything God gives us, he's given it to us, 
that there's enough, but not only that there's enough, but there's an overflow, but it's not so that the overflow can be wasted, but it's so that nothing is lost. Twelve basketfuls of leftovers. They picked up fragments. It didn't have to be whole pieces of, of bread. It didn't have to be whole fish. They picked up twelve basketfuls of fragments. Jesus said, it's intentional that you pick them up so that nothing is lost. Even if you get the leftover fragments of what's left over of God poured out his blessings on my life, those fragments that I can somehow give to you are going to be a blessing and they're going to be enough for you. So why are we holding on to the fragments or why are we throwing the leftovers to the waste? God's pouring out blessings on our life. He's given us gifts. He's given us abilities. He's given us thoughts and cares for people. And we receive those and we thank God. God, thank you for my blessing. Thank you for supplying my need. Sure, there's enough, God. There's more. There's overflow. There's a purpose for the leftovers. Jesus said, pick them up so that none are lost. What are we doing with the leftovers? It's another sermon for another day. We move forward in verse 15. Jesus perceiving that they intended to come and take him by force. Again, Jesus is seeing. He's now seen the people. Now he's perceiving, he's seeing that they're coming to take him by force. And what's interesting is when things get hard, the Bible says that Jesus withdrew to the mountain to be alone. And I struggle with this one too. Aren't you thankful that I talk about me and not about y'all? I struggle with this too because so often when things get hard the natural tendency that we have is to throw a pity party and invite somebody to join us right I'd rather talk about my problem I'd rather talk about the mountain I got to climb than actually put boots on the ground and climb the mountain right I'd rather talk about the struggle. I'd rather talk about breaking the addiction. I'd rather talk about mending relationships. I'd rather talk about orchestrating and being a better leader. I'd rather talk about this than I would actually rather put boots on the ground and do it. But Jesus is a prime example that when things got hard, when things got tough, knowing, seeing that they intended to come and take him by force. First of all, do you realize we're only in John chapter 6 and we're already seeing the end? When, when he knew they were coming to take him, things are about to get rough. He withdrew to the mountain to be alone. Why? Because it was at that place when it was quiet, when it was still, that he could meet with the Father. When I'm talking about the mountain I've got to climb, I really can't hear from the Lord giving me instructions on how to climb it. Right? When I'm talking, first of all, they say that my mama's side of the family has this gift and it's amazing to sit in a room full with her four sisters and my granddaddy and my granny having conversations because there's five different conversations taking place at the same time and you can be watching and my mom and her sister will be talking and all of a sudden she'll jump out. No, 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 that didn't take place. That was so-and-so and so and she jumps right back into this conversation. I don't know how they do it. But most normal people can't listen and talk at the same time. Maybe that's how they do it. Maybe they're not normal. They're not here today, so I'll talk about them. This might happen to you if you're not here next Sunday. 
Just kidding. Most normal people can't do that. Jesus had to withdraw. He had to get alone. He had to get in solitude so that he could prepare and hear from the Father what was about to take place. So Jesus, the disciples, in verse 16 is where we pick up. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into the boat, they started across, started to cross the Sea of Capernaum, and it had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And Jesus began, or the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. I don't know what you see when you read Scripture. I, I hope that the Holy Spirit can show you some things. First of all, I hope you read Scripture. The fact that these guys started off across the sea in the dark without Jesus is a testimony of their faith. Sometimes we have to face some things that are dark, that are unknown, and realistically, Jesus might not be on the boat in the instance, but that don't mean that he's not got us under control. That doesn't mean that he's not going to meet us in the middle of the trouble. It doesn't mean he's not going to meet us in the middle of the trial. Just because I can't see him on the boat doesn't mean that he's not going to meet me where I'm at. You see that? Read it. See, and his disciples went down, to, or his disciples went down to the sea. And after getting into the boat, they started across the Sea of Capernaum, and had not already, it had already become dark. Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to get stirred up because a strong wind was blowing, and they had rowed. Uh, this one we pick up. Then, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. In the middle of the storm. What's interesting is, as Jesus is performing this miracle to come and rescue them, they're afraid. They're afraid. Jesus has to confront them and say, it is I. Don't be afraid. Why is that? How does that work in our life? There's been some pretty radical things that God's tried to do in my life that I've been terrified over. Things about myself that I don't want to learn and things that I don't want to face. But in reality, it's actually Jesus miraculously performing something in my life and saying, hey, this is me. Don't be afraid of it. They're in the middle of the storm. They've got on the boat. They're without Jesus. And they look up in the dark. And there he is. Verse 21 is this. This is so full of just goodness. Verse 21 says, so when they were willing to receive him in the boat, so they were a, a willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land which they were going. What would have happened if they hadn't received him into the boat? They're in a storm. The sea's swirling because of the wind. And after he comforts them, he's walking on water. But when they were willing to receive him into the boat, they were at the other side. There's another sermon that you can preach later. When you let him in the boat, the storm just ceases. I don't believe the storm stopped. I don't even believe that, that they were just instantly teleported from one side to the other. I believe that they made it to the other side, that they rode through the same waves, they rode that boat through the same storm, but because Jesus was on the boat, because they were willing to let him aboard, it, did, it was nothing like it had seen before. 
I don't believe that Jesus just warps us out of our problems and, and brings us to the other side just because he gets on board. That would make life so easy to be Christians, right? I don't believe he does that. I believe what happens is we still climb the mountain and we still have to go through the valleys just the same as we would if he was not there. We just don't even realize we're climbing the mountain and going through the valley the same as if we would because he's walking beside us or he's on that boat rowing along with us. So they get to the other side and here we are the next day. The people finally find him. Didn't know how he got to where he was at. Verse 26 picks up and Jesus said, you want me not because of the signs you've seen. You want me because I filled your belly. I fed you supper last night. Good old bread and fish. And now you showed up this morning ready for breakfast. They missed completely the fact that it was miraculous that he fed them the fish and the bread. Missed it completely. How often do we miss the blessing of provision? And because we're this gimme, gimme, gimme kind of mindset so often, we turn right around and, and don't recognize that provision is coming as this divine, miraculous provision from God. But instead, we go back and be like, hey, Lord, you got breakfast ready yet? Right? He didn't owe me supper. Jesus said, you ain't coming to me because you believe I am who I say I am. You're not coming to me because you've seen signs and wonders. You're not coming to me because you've seen the man healed and, and able to pick up his bed and walk. You're not coming to me because you've seen water that was turned into wine. You're coming to me because I fed you supper last night and you're hungry and you want breakfast. You see, you got it wrong. He said, don't work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. For the Son of Man will give it to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. And then verse 29, it's, he takes that and he simplifies that. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. Stop chasing breakfast. Stop chasing the provision and believe that he is who he says he is. Then things get really complicated. In verse 35, Jesus is having this conversation. He said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. He goes on in verse 40, he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds or sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Verse 41 says the Jews started grumbling. They didn't like it. Doggone grumblers. You got grumblers in your life? Doggone grumblers. They started grumbling. And he knew they were grumbling because he knows what's in a man. And he says in verse 43, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
This is where things get complicated in verse 52, and this is where it kind of turns into this weird horror story if we don't take it for the spiritual thought, if you will. He says, those who don't eat my body and those who don't drink my blood can't be saved. But those who eat my body, eat my flesh, and drink my blood, I abide in them and they abide in me. Now that's weird, right? I can handle my steak about medium rare. That's about the furthest that I'm going. And I have zero desire to eat any living person whatsoever. You with me? Just being honest, this is what makes us seem crazy to the people that, don't, that, that are not Christians that, are, that don't know. It's weird. We believe some weird stuff. Just being honest with you. We do. The problem is the people that don't want to believe it don't experience it. We who can believe it, believe it because we've experienced it. You with me? And so because it's got complicated, and this is where I'm getting right here. I'm almost done. Things have got hard. They've got tough. Verse 59 says, He said these things in a synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Jesus conscious that his disciples are now grumbled. Not only, this is not the Jews now, this is his followers that are now grumbled. This is the friends. This is the ones that have seen it all. Now they're the one grumbling. He says, does this cause you to stumble? What if, then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? You're grumbling. you got problems with this. You would have a problem if you watched me from right here ascend into heaven. You'd still have issues. And Jesus tries to bring this back full circle for these guys, and he says, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and, and life. That's hard. That's heavy. It's exciting to talk about feeding the 5,000. It's exciting to talk about Jesus walking on the water. It gets a little finicky when we start talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, right? And here's where we fall off. Here's our struggle. Verse 66 says, As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were no longer walking with him anymore. Because it got hard to understand because he didn't feed them breakfast. Because it wasn't simply cut and dry, black and white. It got a little gray. It got a little tough. They didn't even have to understand. But because they didn't, they withdrew and walked with him no more. It's the followers. The ones that had followed him from the beginning, from when he showed up and he, he had this little small gang at the wedding at Cana and then he moved on and, and he met with this woman at Samaria and, and, and they're, uh, they, they've tried to bring him food and they're like, why are you even talking to this lady? And then we move on and they've watched him heal this guy for 38 years that's been laying on a bed. 
They watched him just take five loaves and two little fish and feed 5,000, not people, but that represented families. But yet, because things got hard to understand, they left him and didn't follow him anymore. And I was really kind of convicted a little bit. Because I wonder how many of us, when things get really difficult, hard to understand, when it's not like it should be, not like I planned on it being, when things get a little gory, let's be real, eating flesh and drinking blood's a little gory. Right? Jesus didn't mean literally eat the flesh and drink the blood. He's talking about the communion, which is coming later. The Eucharist, the Last Supper, being unified with him. They didn't know that. They didn't hang around to find out. What did they miss because they quit following? And Jesus makes this profound statement because he turned around to the guys that were the closest to him. He said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Everybody else is left. How you feel about it, Peter? John? Andrew? Judas? What's your opinion? They've all left. You going to leave? You want to go too? Peter makes this profound statement. said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? Your words have eternal life. Where are we going to go? Where are you going to go? Because some of us have seen God performed miracle after miracle after miracle in our life. We've had him give us provision after provision after provision. And yet, because things get difficult, we find ourselves faced with a, a decision. You're going to leave too? Peter didn't get it all right. <laughs> Peter messed up. Peter had to repent. I love Peter's heart. The fact that he pulls a sword to cut off an ear of the dude trying to arrest Jesus shows his heart for Jesus to defend him to the end. Did he lose it? Yeah. Peter's heart is so pure, he said, Lord, where are we going to go? I've given up everything, Jesus. I left my fishing career. I left my family. I left everything that I had to follow you. Where am I going to go? Your words give eternal life. So where are you going to go today? Simple thought. Things are going to be difficult. 
they're going to be challenging. They're not going to make a lot of sense. I mean, I, I struggle. This book right here intrigues me. But part of the reason it intrigues me is because sometimes it is unreal, the difficulty that it has to understand. But where else can I go? I don't have to get it. I don't have to understand it. Because his words have eternal life. At some point, whether it's in eternity or whether it's here on this earth, I'm going to understand. It may be whenever I bow before him in all his fullness, crying, holy, holy, holy. But I'll get it then. Where are you going to go? Things are going to get it tough for those 12. Peter really didn't realize what he was actually getting himself into in that moment. Things get hard. See, family, we've seen miracle after miracle in your life. If you don't believe me, sit down this afternoon. Take a piece of paper. Just start counting your blessings. Write them down. Maybe you think of two or three today. Try it again tomorrow and keep going. I promise you'll be amazed at the miracles and the blessings God's poured out on your life that we don't stop day to day to think about because we're just needing <laughs> breakfast. But there comes a point in time in all of this when things get real. And I believe Jesus just asked the question, are you going to leave me too? We're surrounded by a culture and a society in this nation that's leaving the Father. I believe there's still some leftovers though. The Bible calls it a remnant. I believe there's leftovers. And I believe the leftovers are enough to change the world. But before the leftovers get to be productive, I believe the question has to be answered, where are you going to go? I believe revival can break out and revival can be sparked by the leftovers. But the question is, are you going to leave me too? Are you going to stay and be willing to be the leftover? It's so easy to go to so many other places and things and people to fight our battles, to talk about our struggles. When we've got an example of Jesus just withdrawing in solitude to the mountain to be by himself. I wonder, could we have the heart of Peter to say, Lord, where else am I going to go? 
to who else can we go because your words bring eternal life. Father, I love you, Lord. God, I thank you for the miracles of my life. Fathers, I could stop and begin to look at my life and the way that you've kept me and carried me through since I was just a boy. Lord, as I look at the blessings you've poured on me as a man, the provision, God, that you pour out on my life that I take for granted daily. God, I thank you for those things. God, but I pray today that as we've heard this word, God, I pray we're not looking for you because we need another meal. God, we're not looking for you to, to, to pour out more provision on top of us. God, you're going to do that. I believe there was never a moment when, when your closest disciples, when they followed, there was never a moment they didn't have something to eat. There was never a moment they didn't have what they needed. Because you provided that automatically. That came with the territory. God, but let us see you and believe in you so that we may have eternal life. That's easy to say. That's easy to, to say, oh yeah, I believe in you, God. But Lord, I pray, I pray deep down from the inside of us. That place that, that out of our belly flows that river of living water. That place way down deep would be the place that we would see you and believe you. Father, today as the question's asked, where are you going to go? Father, I pray that you would allow us to be convicted today. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts that our answer would have to look like Peter's. Where else can I go? It's only your words, God, that bring eternal life. Father, there's struggles, there's battles, there's issues that are represented in this house today, God, and online. Lord, you know those. God, and we take just a moment in our own way to lift those up to you. Realizing that maybe we feel like we're on the boat headed across the sea without you in the boat. But maybe that miracle that you're ready to perform is what's actually scaring us, God. But we'll receive you into the boat today so that we can push forward. Father, when everybody else leaves, when it's quiet, when it's lonely, God, when things get hard, tough, complicated, Father, today, we commit to you that we won't leave. Where, where else could we go, Lord, but to you? There is no plan B. There's no plan B to this, God. You're the only plan. You're the only way. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Where else can we go? Lord, we won't go to, to other people. We won't go to other things. We won't go to things that fulfill us for the moment. God, but we'll go to you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for every person that's represented in this house today. 
whatever struggle, whatever complicated issue we're facing, wherever we are in the crossroads of life. God, where we're standing and we're facing this, this situation, maybe it's not worded just like this, God. Maybe it's, it's in the back of our mind. The enemy maybe is asking that question, where are you going to go? Who are you going to follow? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, you give the boldness and the courage and the power of the Holy Spirit to answer the question today. Where else, Lord, can we go? Only to you. Father, we only want you today. We want nothing else. Father, I pray your blessings over your people. I pray that you bless, you keep them, Lord, and let your face shine on them, give them grace and peace in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen.